you have your Bibles, turn with me for a few moments to the book of Luke chapter 13. Luke the 13th chapter. I would love to share with you all the pictures that I took. I took so many that I crashed my phone two or three days in a row. My cloud is so heavy, I'm afraid it's going to rain pictures on me one of these days. And I don't know anything about that. I just use it, but I don't know anything about it. That's the dangerous part, because I may have a thunderstorm over my head right now waiting to drop, and I don't know it. But so many great things. I I tell you what I'm thinking about doing, and it may be crazy, but I would like to just put together a church trip. Uh, that we could go over there, it would be such an unbelievable experience. Luke chapter 13, verse number 1, or no, verse number 6, I'm sorry, verse number 6. Better get my glasses on. Luke 13 and verse number 6. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereof and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And the gardener answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that, after that, shalt thou cut it down. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the value of one who cares. The value of one who cares. Would you just say thank you, Lord, for his word? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. He was born in 1939 in a small town of Clinton, North Carolina, to a sharecropper family. If you don't know what a sharecropper was... It was someone who was so poor they didn't have enough money to buy property and so they would rent the property and they would toil it and labor and a portion of what they brought in went back to the owner of the property. Growing port in such poor conditions, he was told many things in his life. Most importantly, he was told what he couldn't be and what he couldn't do. His search in life for his place in the world led him to several different locations, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, and finally he came to Bishopville, South Carolina. As a man, he longed for the things that every man longed for, a place of his own. He worked in a local canning factory or a factory that produced most of the cans that were used in the south region of America as a laborer and as a mechanic. Finally, in 1980, he and his wife bought their first piece of property. It was on the outskirts of town. It was 
the remnants of a leftover cotton field that was rough and it was rugged. It was used up. Most importantly, it was undesired. And there they built an attractive but modest ranch-style home. Because of the cost overruns of his building, there was no money left over for the landscaping of the yard. And because of this, and no doubt a few other things, they were not wanted in their neighborhood because they were afraid that he wouldn't keep up his yard and it would bring the value of all of their houses down. And so Pearl Fryer was intent on proving them wrong. After working 12 hours a day at the local can manufacturer, he would come home and he would begin working on his yard. And it was very common for him to work to the wee hours of the morning, trimming, cutting, working, creating. He created first a circular drive, and he was not happy with just concrete. And so he found marble and glass and different objects of color, and he broke them up, and he would mash them down in the top of the concrete as it dried to create this beautiful mosaic Uh, that would grab the eye of those who drove into his house or his yard. And countless hours every week, he said most weeks he spent more time working in his garden and in his flowers than he did on his paying job. He didn't just grow and mow grass and tend the edging and pulling of weeds and all of that, but he added trees and shrubs and He began trimming them and cutting them, various plants that he found and brought in and planted into these unusual shapes. And through patience and skilled hands, he transformed a patch of rough ground into a lush, manicured, and incredibly beautiful sight to behold. Crafting three and a half acres into a unbelievably beautiful topiary garden. As one looked at the miracles of his creation, you couldn't help but marvel as many of them. How could this be? You can't do that with those trees. You cannot do that with those shrubs. Today, horticultural students from universities come to learn about how to create such beautiful things. Not a horticulturist or even a college graduate. He teaches many who come by his property. Art teachers come and they bring their students and they wander through his yard and they look at all of the beauty and the imagination and the techniques and tourists drive from all over the United States. And they're mesmerized by the marvels of his work. His work has been labeled as abstract art because there is no particular pattern that he follows. He read some books that were given to him of the topiary gardens of Europe and he tried for a while to copy them, but after a while he realized that that wasn't him. And so he took the plants and the trees that he had and He began to create what he could with what he had. 
His goal was not to copy nor to duplicate, but to create what had never been created before and to create what can be done with what he had. People came to this marvel of creation to look at trees and plants, but they left forgetting the trees and remembering the miracles. What really makes the story interesting is how it all began. Because he could not afford the luxury of going out and buying anything he wanted, he went to the local nursery and he asked about the trash pile that was out behind their property. I wish that I had a picture to show you of the trash pile. It was just this large mound, almost as tall as the edges of this and probably as long as this auditorium. Discarded there were all kinds of objects, cast-off rejects, malnourished plants that had been taken out of the normal cells because they would not be sellable. They were unwanted. The owner himself admitted that they were throwaways. They were trash. They were junk. They were zeros. That was his terminology. He first found a malnourished juniper and began his work. And over time, he pulled out other pieces from the junk pile and the trash heap. And now over 25% of this three and a half acres is made up of rejects. Cast-offs. I wonder if you could pick them out in there. When he began working, he was told by those who knew, the experts, that you can't do that with that type of tree. You can't do that with that kind of shrub. You're not supposed to trim that kind of tree. But ignoring the the intelligence of the expert, I guess you would say, he had a dream and a vision. They said it won't work, it can't work, it wouldn't work, but it did work. Amen. He was determined. This is what he said. He was determined to not let obstacles determine where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do. Amen. He was determined. He had taken these things and transformed them into things of beauty. Every tree, every shrub, an unprecedented work every time because every tree, every shrub, every bush was individual. He considers his pieces all works in progress because he continues to work on them. He continues to give attention to them. He creates what he can with what he's given. He doesn't get aggravated because he doesn't have better things to work with. He takes what he has. He knows the name of the objects. He knows the name of the trees, the shrubs, but... He said, really, the name doesn't matter because many times the name limits you to what you can do with it. Amen. In our text, 
we're told the story of a man who tended a garden. And he worked that garden, I'm sure, as diligently as any good gardener would do. Planted there by an owner were objects that he desired to return on. One in particular was a tree, one that he sought fruit on. And historians say that a fig tree takes three years before it starts bearing. And so after having planted that tree and and coming by year after year watching it grow, and then in that third year coming expecting to find some kind of return on his investment, he saw nothing. Well, that was okay. He said, I'll, I, I'll come back next year. And he came back the next year expecting some kind of progress, some kind of improvement. And yet there was nothing. And so he goes away frustrated and aggravated because he's... His investment was not paying off and what he had paid in, he was not getting back in dividends. So the third year he comes with his mind made up. This is it. This is the end. It's cut bait or fish time, as they say for fishermen. It's time to put up or shut up. And going into his garden looking for some kind of evidence that it was producing, that it was showing value for the investment that he had put in it, he was aggravated beyond despair. He was aggravated beyond hope. And so he turns to the gardener and he said, cut it down. I don't want this wasting any more of my time and money. I don't want it cumbering up the garden. It's taking up valuable space. There's something better could be growing in that spot. Something that would produce. If it had not been for someone who cared. Amen. The gardener said, oh, but sir, if you could just give me one more year. You see... The owner had no idea the investment that man had in that tree. As a matter of fact, I'm not a real gardener. I don't know a lot about it. I enjoy the fruit of the garden, but I don't know a lot about it. But I do know some gardeners, and this is what I've learned about that unique kind of disposition. Doing well... In their garden, there is one plant that is not doing well. They tend to give extra attention to it to try to nurture it along. And so this man being a gardener, if anybody knew the shortcomings, if anybody knew the time and the investment and the energy and all that had been spent to try to get something out of this tree, the gardener knew that. Yet in spite of everything that he knew of his own time and energy and investment, he was not content for it to be done away with. He knew how much time had been invested But he also knew that somewhere 
Hidden in that tree is the ability to do what the master wants it to do. And he was unwilling to give up on it. He was unwilling to quit. He was unwilling to mark it off his list. He was unwilling to marginalize it, dig it up and put it in the trash heap. He was the pearl fryer of Scripture who was willing to take the discard or take the unwanted or take the the unproducing and bring it back to a place where it could be nurtured again and more deeply attended than it had been perhaps in the past so that somewhere down the road it would reach its potential only because somebody cared. Only because somebody cared. I'm thankful for somebody that cares today. I'm embarrassed sometimes at myself. I don't know if you are, but I am. Because I know I could be a lot better than I am. I could be a lot more spiritual than I am. I could walk closer to God than I do. But I'm thankful there's somebody that cares enough about me that even when I'm not living up to my potential, he's not ready to get rid of me. Sitting in this congregation today, some of us that are underproducing, some of us that are not living up to our potential. And when we look at ourselves and we view ourselves, sometimes we're the first to want to take the axe out and chop it down. But I'm thankful that there's one tending to us that cares enough to say, no, 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 no. Let's don't do that yet. You know, I'm surprised at how many people come to church with their little agenda. You know, they, they, nobody here does that, but I'm surprised at places that people come with their little agenda. When somebody comes to the altar, they're thinking, what are they doing up there? What are they doing on the platform? What are they doing? Thinking. What what do they think anyway? Do they think they can get away from that? I'm thankful that the Lord, the only agenda He has is to keep working on me until He gets out of me what's in me. It's not willing to give up on anybody. I'm so thankful that I'm in a place right now that's not willing to give up on anybody. That's why there's always been room around greater life for the outcast or the broken or the underperforming or uh, somebody that may not be wanted somewhere else. The door has been open here and it will always stay open because this is the place that God wants to use as a place of restoration and a place of renewal to nurture out of you the potential that's in you So that you can be what God created you to be. And so I can see Pearl Fryer. If you ever get a chance, you need to go to YouTube and watch the video of his story. Watch the transformation.
You know what struck me when I looked at that? Among that right there, 25% of that, I can't even tell how many are in that picture, but 25% of that picture are rejects. Can anybody point them out? That's what's so great about being under the canopy of somebody who cares. When you come up to the table, God's table, you may have club feet. You may be like that boy that came into the presence of the king and he had club feet. He was damaged while his mother was trying to escape. But when he was invited to David's table, (laughs) he was Saul's son. Now, how many, how many people have enough character that when you get to the throne and you're in the driver's seat, you have enough grace to look back on the person that preceded you and have enough, enough dignity that you, you're not, you're not slamming them or berating them, but you're trying to find a way to bless that family. And if anybody needed to be cut down, Saul needed to be cut down. Nobody hated David like Saul did. But when David got to the throne, he said, is there any good thing I can do for that family? Well, there's one. His name is Mephibosheth. He's a, he's a little, he's not, I mean, he'll never be a soldier. He'll never be a watchman. He'll never be part of your army. Because he's crippled. Well, I'll tell you what, you, I want you to invite him to my table. Amen. Invite him to my table. I can hear him coming down the hallway. Everybody knew that was Mephibosheth. But the good thing was, when he got to the table... And he sat down. Everybody looked the same. Hidden under that table were all kind of maladies. Hidden under that table is all kind of deformities. Not just physical, but spiritual, emotional. But when they sat down at the king's table, there's a table that covers all that. Some of us don't know how to relate to that because we're waiting for the hammer to come down and judgment to fall. And instead of that, you see this gardener down on someone. I know you can do more than that. Digging around that plant. Come on. Come on. I know you can do more than that. I know you can, you got more potential in you than that. The value of somebody who cares. Some of you have written yourself off bad enough that others have written you off. It's bad enough that others said you'll never amount to anything. It's bad enough that others have labeled you. But what I love about him is that he, he never looked at the label because he said the label limited him to what he could do with what he wanted to do. I'm thankful that when I came into the church, I had a big label on me. Loser. Liar. But when I came in, there was so much compassion and love and mercy. 
that it overwhelmed all of that ugliness that was in my life. And he didn't look at my label. He looked at my roots. He looked at what my seed was. He looked at where I came from. He looked at what was on the inside of me. And what he saw on the inside of me was better than what the label that people had put on me. And he said, I can make something out of you. I can do something with you. You know, I thought about the potter this morning. Jeremiah was taken down to the potter's house and the Bible said the Lord brought him there to teach him something. And he watched as the potter worked with the clay. and The wheel turns, his foot's working and that wheel is turning and he's pressing with the deftness of a, a master artist creating, shaping and then something happens. It, it doesn't give right. It doesn't, it doesn't move to the shape of his hand. It doesn't give. It resists. And slowing the wheel down, he sees there's a defect in it. Now, a lot of folks would probably have just taken that off the wheel and thrown it over to the side and found another piece But he didn't. The Bible said he took that out. He crushed that clay down. And he started that wheel back again. And he watched him as he, the Bible said he made it over another vessel. Not an inferior vessel. Did you hear me? Some of you live under a dark cloud that somebody has put over your life. By something they've said to you. That if you do this, you'll never amount to that. If you go there, you'll never be anything. And we completely discount what someone who cares can do. They just keep working. And what has always marveled me that the scripture does not tell is how long it took him on that second effort to make it what it became. We think that it probably just happened in one service. Oh, hallelujah. Boo, I'm transformed. I'm new. But it there's no there's nothing in scripture that says how long he kept working with that. That's why I don't with that. Working with that. Amen. That's why I don't give up on people. Because you never, every time I've ever given up on somebody, God's always proved me I was wrong. I had a brother that had been backslid for 40 years. I prayed for my brother. I asked my brother driving down the road one day, just he and I, I never asked him that before, never asked him again. I, I said, I said, Bob, do you ever think of God or coming back to church? He never would look at me, but tears started to He said, every day of my life. And 40 years after walking out the door of a church, he walked in that building over there on a Mother's Day morning, knelt back down at an altar where he had left the Lord and found him still there. 
Oh, I know you're not shouting and I'm not either because I'm too moved by somebody that cares. And they don't give up on me and they don't throw me away. And when others have put me aside and when life marginalizes me and when life labels me, he ignores the label and he keeps working on me. And sometimes... Some of us have to stay on the wheel a lot longer. That doesn't mean that we can't be something. That doesn't mean that we'll never amount to anything. There's late bloomers. I've learned that about living for God. There's some people that don't reach their potential till later in life. But don't ever discard yourself and don't ever write yourself off and say, I, this is what I'm always going to be. God really is trying to take us to some greater places. And he's trying to do some greater things in your life. And I wish you would quit measuring your life by what was and start letting God somehow redefine your life by what could be. <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The, the importance of somebody who cares. Only the gardener knew, only the gardener knew. He works with the underperforming. He works with those that have not reached their potential. People that have set you aside, labeled and marginalized. I love this. He still takes the rejects. He still takes the discards. He still takes the cast off, the useless, the throwaways, the feeble, the struggling. The discouraged person. He doesn't follow what others say or think about you. He keeps working until he produces what he has envisioned. Amen. Some of you may feel like you're just too messed up and too crooked and too whatever. But I'm just telling you that if you can get into the hands of somebody that cares, God can do wonders. In your life. None of us deserve it. But he is not limited by what others have said about you. And he's not limited by what others have done to you. Amen. T'was battered and scarred and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while. To waste his time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What am I bid? Good people, he cried, who starts the bidding for me today. One dollar, one dollar, who do I hear? Two, two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-haired man stood, came forward and picked up the bow. When wiping the dust from the old violin, he tightened up the strings and he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as the angels sing. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what now am I bid for this old violin? As he held it aloft with the bow. One thousand, one thousand. Do I hear two? Two thousand. Who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going, 
going gone. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply was the touch of the master's hand. Amen. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioneered cheap to a thoughtless crowd. But like that old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes. Oh, the value of somebody who cares. Aren't you thankful that somebody cared for you? Amen. The worth of a soul and the chain that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Amen. Stand with me if you will.